And welcome to Big Life Conversation. You're here with Nicole and Barbara today. And uh, we're missing our trio today. Jacinta is away, um, holding the fort for her until she is back with us, hopefully next week. Uh, How are you all today? Uh, It is... Uh, interesting weather outside at the moment. We've got uh, a low of nine today in Box Hill and a high of 19. So that's your little weather snippet. And also thank you to Tiny Tim who plays his hits prior to us every week on Monday as well. But we have a show for you today. We have a couple of great guests lined up for you. First up, we have Christy Roberts, who is a life and results coach and also a grief educator. And she's going to be talking to us all about uh, grief and loss and managing that and in her professional capacity. And then after that, we have friend of the show and uh, regular law expert, our family law expert from the Nambia Hogg family lawyers, Cuppy, who's going to be talking about disputes about names. So that's going to be an interesting one today. And as always, we have our news, tunes and uh, a couple of jokes. Well, you know, we're working on that at the moment. (laughs) We're working on getting uh, some good ones for you. Um, We might have a nutrition tip and uh, Barbara, I'm sure, has got wonderful entertainment news coming up for you. So we're here with you for the next uh, uh, two hours until six o'clock. And then uh, we've got Your Planet Needs You, which will be following our show today. So lots to uh, have a look forward to. We're going to have another tune before we launch in. This one's called Until I Found You. And you're back with us. It is Big Life Conversation at 13 minutes past four o'clock. Great to have you with us for the next two hours. Hopefully you're uh, having a brisk drive home. It's a little bit busy out there with the school traffic, but we're here to keep you entertained through the next few hours. So welcome to the show, Barbara. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Nicole, but not looking nearly as glam and glitzy as you are. I have to let the uh, the listeners know that uh, she's looking <laughs> particularly resplendent. She always looks wonderful, but particularly dazzling today because she has a hot date with Shami. Am I allowed to say with whom? Yes, you can have a say. I think I, I did a little post earlier. I'm making myself go a little bit blind here in the studio with the reflections of the sequins. Um, but I have donned an outfit uh, for my fangirl, Trini London, who I'm going to catch up with as I did last Last year uh, at Doncaster at 7pm. For those of you that are Trini London fans, going with my wonderful sister, a bit fangirling uh, and kind of (laughs) got into the sort of fanning of Trini London over lockdown, which um, kept many women entertained in, you know, things to dress, things to do for your skin, health and just overall health and well-being and keeping women happy and, um, you know, things to do that make us happy. So uh, she's recently launched a book as well called Fearless, which I've purchased and can hopefully get signed tonight as well. (laughs) So, yes, I am a little fangirling here and I'm I'm all sparkled up in a sequined number that is multi-different colours, something I bought when it was uh, a special birthday. um, Not that long ago. Not that long ago, (laughs) a special birthday and uh, I was going to wear it to a 70s roller disco. So just, you know, picture that in your mind, listeners out there, if you're, you're thinking about what's going on there as well. 
So thank you. Yes, a, a little bit uh, resplendent in sequence. Um, but you're always looking lovely. You've got your union jack on and you've got your red and blue. You're always nicely matchy-matchy as well. Thank you. Well, I thought uh, we're going to have a little chat about some travel, so I thought I'll get into the mood with the, uh, the British flag. Yes. But it's interesting you should mention the British flag too, uh, Nicole, the union jack, because I never looked at it this way. I just thought it was a bit of fun wearing this little jack, which I got the, the last time I was in um, England, not that just the time just gone. Um, but the friend that I was travelling with said to me, oh, it's really wise to wear that you're sure the people won't think you're part of the national front and i just oh, thought no i thought oh, it never crossed my mind it never crossed my mind either <laughs> i just thought it was a bit of you know a pro-british sort of fun and um well, i do have an english connection my late mother was english but i thought that oh dear but uh, i guess you, you have to be careful sometimes people can perhaps misinterpret things oh, yeah so anyway that is interesting i that's not my first thought when no, i see that jumper. Mind, <laughs> anyway. uh, but uh yeah so um, yeah, it's um, well, it's a funny time of year weather-wise. You were talking about the weather earlier, Nicole. I don't know. We, we're going from is it today? Uh, the temperature is sort of fairly mildish, but then tomorrow's up to twenty-six, and then dropping down again for about ten degrees it was the next day. Freezing it's, yesterday, miserable, yes. and then sort of in between today, trying to be a nicer day, but not quite. It's just where you don't know what to and, wear. <laughs> and yes, we've got those extremes happening. So um, yes, it is. It is you know typical of spring to do that, but it's yep. a little bit warmer and then a little bit cooler than yeah, the averages. Yeah, exactly. It is a bit intense. So it is. End of the spectrum. It is indeed. It is indeed. And we must say hello to Jacinta if she happens to be listening in too. Yes, hello. We are missing you as usual. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I hope to see you next week. Yes, and let's hope that um, everything works beautifully on the panel here today. Exactly. Whilst I've been a little bit out of action in the front seat, so I like playing in the second seat every now and then. <laughs> it's nice to, to be in the front seat again, though. Uh, so we often have a few birthdays at about this time, Ooh. and um, I just uh, a birthday shout-out to my goddaughter, Pip, whose birthday it was on Saturday. Happy birthday. Did some um, celebrations last night with cake and dinner at uh, her place, which was lovely. Um, So happy birthday. We're sort of getting into that end mid to October time frame. Yes, leaving Libra and saying hello to Scorpio. Yes. Mm. Have you got any birthdays? I have, actually. Thank you, Nicole. Um, We also want to mention some musical ones, including Mahala Jackson and Bill Wyman. But I'd like to send a um, birthday cheer to my friend Rose, who actually had a birthday a few days ago, um, and also to my brother-in-law, Andrew, who celebrates a birthday today, and to my goddaughter, Rebecca, who's also got a special birthday today. So all you Libran slash Scorpio cusps or whomever, um, happy birthday. I know, it's lots of um, birthday times, although I don't know too many in November, birthdays in November and December, okay. but it tends to be a busier September, October in uh, in my family there mm. as well. So, um, yes, a lot's going on there as well. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, we um, have a couple of uh, wonderful guests coming up um, and shortly we'll be list, uh, speaking to our first guest, uh, which is Christy Roberts. And uh, she's kindly uh, come along on the show to talk a little bit about grief and processing grief and some of the coaching work she does in that space. Um, So a really important subject and um, one that, you know, as Australians, I think we're very good at um, putting underneath the the kind of... um, you know, lip or yeah, stiff <laughs> upper lip, and uh, good at putting that underneath the, you know, the, the 
blankets, the mattress, wherever it might be that we like to sort of hide things away. And um, this will be about bringing that to the forefront in some ways and strategies to look after that. So looking forward to that coming up at uh, 4.30. So she'll be joining us in the studio, which is wonderful. And um, as I mentioned before, Cuppy Nambia from... Matthews, oh, not Matthews, that's where she used to work, but <laughs> um, uh, Nambia Hogg, family lawyers. And uh, she's going to be talking about disputes about names, which is an interesting topic today. So mm. we are looking forward to that as well. But lots of little uh, bits and pieces that we have ready for you ahead of that. I'm going to have a little segment on fibre today uh, and a little nutrition tip on a particular vitamin um, because I think that's all important. And we're going to be focusing up in another few shows on some of the preparations for Christmas, what to think about from a food perspective for Christmas, how to avoid perhaps that Christmas spread that can happen (laughs) around the middle when we um, tend to eat too much over Christmas and um, making sure that we keep ourselves well and healthy during that period of time as well. So lots coming up around that. What's going on in the entertainment space? Um, Barbara? Actually, I was going to turn you, Nicole. Um, I think I mentioned off actually. Um, in terms of birthdays, happy 50th birthday to the Sydney Opera House. Ah. And, uh, it's hard to believe it's, uh, it's as old as that. But the building, they reckon, I don't know whether you're a fan of it, but I've always loved the design of it. Um, and they say it's it's been standing up pretty well over the years. And just a few tiles have needed to be replaced. Um, but um, it was a sort of controversial decision all those years ago. Um, but uh, anyway, it's, um, of course, something of an icon. And we as Melburnians uh, perhaps, you know, have mixed feelings about it. But uh, <laughs> it, uh, anyway, it, it's It's a great icon. It that is. and the bridge, it's very quintessential Australian, it isn't is. it? We it think is. about Australia. We think about that beautiful Sydney harbour and those things that surround, surround it. Yeah, so exactly. Um, exactly. I think it is, is a wonderful icon there as well. We tend to use it a little bit more now. With lighting and yeah, so special some events, have, have have sort of uh, mixed feelings about that, don't they? Using it as, mm-hmm. a, as an advertising hoarding, mm. um, yeah. So I guess um, that's a, can be a bit of a controversial topic too. But anyway, happy birthday to the Sydney Opera House. Yes, um, and also happy birthday to you know our people, our friends down at the Round, the New Whitehorse Arts oh, Centre. Yes, they are presented by Nova Musical Theatre, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, and now uh, this is actually. Um, the 50th um, production, um, 50th anniversary production for uh, Nova. So congratulations and happy birthday to them. And that's actually coming on. It just opened on Friday night. And um, it's coming on, um, it's, oh, it's running up, up until Sunday, the 29th of October. Uh, that's next Sunday. So um, I don't know if you've ever seen that production. It was on at the Regent Theatre at Rogers and Hammerstein, I think, last year or the year before. And it has been filmed, I think, in various sort of versions. But anyway, it's... Um, so anyway, so it's to be quite delightful. So if you can get along to that, half your luck and check out the new surroundings at the Ram because we haven't been down there. We're going to have a look we at that. We haven't. We have to get down there and uh, find out and have a look at the new, the beautiful new space that is there. Uh, we were frequenters of the, uh, the theatre there, space. the old, <laughs> older space, which was still a great space. Yeah, but quite we charming. haven't actually seen any theatre there as yet, have we? No, because it's only just opened just recently. We have chatted to people involved with the, the uh, programming there. Um, but uh, anyway, so we're looking forward to uh, to visiting that uh, before the year is out and a few things are happening um, before they wind up for the year too. So uh, 
um, yeah, that uh, that'll be something to to uh, enjoy when we're um, we're hanging about. Uh, also, um, wanted to remind people that the White Horse Art Show is on. I don't know whether you saw the big banner outside the front today, Nicole, as you came oh, in. Oh yes, there's quite a few cars out there, so yes. I assume there's a lot going on there. Yeah, so they're um, they're they're setting that up. I think it's opening on um, uh, this Thursday, I do believe. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, I think it's only running until the uh, just the weekend. Um, now, um, it's apparently it's a it's a fundraising. Um, uh, project uh, undertaken by Rotary, uh, who are, of course, well known for a lot of their uh, their works um, in terms of helping the community. So it runs from Thursday, the 26th of October, to Sunday, the 29th, and um, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and on Sunday from 10 to 4. And, um, of course, in the Box Hill Town Hall, which is a great venue. And this, can you believe it, this is the 57th annual art show held within the city of Whitehorse. Wow. So it provides Been an outlet for a while. Quality. Yeah, exactly. It provides an outlet for quality artists to display and sell their work. And um, anyway, so that sounds like it's going to be uh, well worth checking out as well. And tickets to the opening night, uh, which include a gala as opposed to a gala, three-course dinner, including drinks um, on the 25th of October, <laughs> um, might still be available if you're lucky. And uh, But you need to uh, go and check out uh, all that online um, to, uh, to see if there are any available. But uh, you might be able to pick up a nice piece for Christmas for yourself or for, for a friend or loved one. So... Anyway, uh, check out the uh, the Whitehorse um, Art Show online for more details. It's beautiful to have a look at some art. It's a really nice way to spend an afternoon mm. or an evening and uh, immerse yourself in all things beauty. Uh, and I think appreciation of beauty is a really wonderful strength and also something that really is uplifting. And what a lovely gift for Christmas as well, if it's yes. within your budget. Exactly. And <laughs> That's you the said, key, isn't and it? And it helps the community too. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Fantastic. Quite a few uh, entertainment things and probably more to come as well. We, um, I'm not sure if this is uh, too soon, but there is a little shovel article and I know we like to listen and read from the shovel, the satirical website that has a few little digs sometimes at some of the politicians which uh, provide good <laughs> food for thought there as well. Uh, they um, have an event coming up at Christmas, so they have their yearly uh, special usually in the city and um, you can still get tickets, I believe, for the Melbourne performance performance there as well. I'll give you some of the details of that in just a moment. But uh, they had a little article here and um, I thought there's too much um, controversy about the, the war that has started out in Israel and Palestine and it's quite an awful thing to talk about and perhaps joke about at the moment. Mm. But I thought this one was a, a little bit lighter and it was around... Um, People wanting to how they're working out, you know, which side to sit on and which fence to sit on, oh, and, and I think you know that's often not a, a good thing to think about because um, people on both sides are are being hurt and and harmed right. in in both areas. But this one is a, just a short one saying, um, "Man to wait for video from Hollywood celebrities before making up mind about Israel Palestine conflict." <laughs> he said he would hold his judgment until he saw a heartfelt rendition of John Lennon's Imagine, or at the very least an impact passioned plea from Matt Damon or Julia Roberts telling him which side to take. So I know that all of the movie stars are getting out there and and putting their pleas together around um, donating to um, bodies that can help support the relief effort there. Um, Just having a little
little bit of a joke around that one, but that's about <laughs> as far as I'll go with the shovel anyway. Yes, indeed. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly a thorny topic and, uh, and very distressing on a number of levels. And also, on a purely, for a purely selfish note, I had a friend I was speaking to last night who said that um, she was uh, talking about travelling in the next year or two, but she said um, if it meant that uh, the Middle East is going to be out of bounds because a lot of the flights or the flights she was thinking of taking yes. are going to go through there, yes. she might forget the whole thing. Um, and yes, so for, you know, I know first world problems, but when, when we're talking about other much more serious matters, matters of life or death, but um, we are, there is great concern that this whole thing could spread too. So, yes, I've got yeah. a friend who's travelling soon and she's on Qatar Airways and so she's concerned oh. about the flight path there, which yes. has been changed a couple of times, but mm. is still flying over some tricky areas. And, exactly. you know, if the type of warfare changes, then that could be quite serious. So she's Indeed. rethinking her trip as well. Exactly. So um, it's just, just another complicating factor, I guess. Uh, it is yeah. a complicating factor. Um, but if you're looking for a little bit of comedy, however, and you would like to see more on The Shovel, the annual comedy gala, The War on 2023, <laughs> not a um, actual war, but a war on on the comedic content for 2023. <laughs> um, the annual comedy gala is on and uh, in Melbourne. I'm just having a look now. Um, the Athenaeum uh, is where it's being played on Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th of December at 6pm. Mm-hmm. And you can book tickets online from The Shovel as well. So if you like a little bit of satire and do the year in review, um, it is a place to do that. So lots of uh, food and fodder politically there to uh, to have a bit of satire and a bit of a laugh about as well. Mm, I think we need, we need a bit of chewing. It's been a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a full on year in many ways. So. It absolutely <laughs> has. All right, it is coming up to uh, close to 4.30 and we're going to have our first guest in the studio very shortly. We're going to have Christy Roberts, but let's have a tune now. You're on Big Life Conversation, 94.1 FM with Nicole and Barbara. This is Big Life Conversation. And that was As It Was by the wonderful Harry Styles. Good for a tune there. You're on Big Life Conversation, 94.1 FM, and it is a 32 minutes past four o'clock. And we have our first guest in the studio, the wonderful Christy Roberts, um, who has a great background, a wonderful background in both life and results coaching and also a grief educator. And she's here to talk to us today about living with grief and loss. And it is a a really tough topic for many people. And um, we're looking forward to hearing more about some of the ways that people can move through that. Um, Just a little bit about Christy before we get into that. Um, As I mentioned, she is a life coach, speaker, grief educator, and the global trainer of self-directed healing practitioners. And she's proudly holds the 2000 and 23 Australian Women's Small Business Champion Award in Alternative Therapy. Well done. Um, And as the founder of Creating Change, Christy works closely with leaders and offers corporate wellbeing workshops that transform workplace culture, 
promote self-awareness and boost employee satisfaction, all while ensuring psychological safety and compliance. And Christie's mission is um, on to create change in our society by improving emotional awareness and grief literacy and empowering people to lead authentic, purposeful and connected lives. Welcome to the show, Christie. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, lovely to have you on board with such an important topic, but one we sort of sweep under the mat every now and then. Yes. Well, quite a lot in our, our culture and I know other the cultures as well. Um, and so we, we really appreciate you coming to, to talk to us about that today. So tell me a little bit about firstly how you got into this and then a little bit about what grief is. I think grief is not a topic or a career that you tend to choose. It kind of chooses you. Mm. So my background is human resources and organisational development and I moved into life coaching and was doing some really fabulous work around living your best life and extraordinary living And then on the 14th of March 2020, the weekend that Melbourne went into lockdown, my 18-year-old son, Aaron, was in a car accident. He never came home. Sorry to hear that. And so Aaron died on scene. Now, here I was doing all this work around living your best life and... But how, how is that even possible when you're dealing with that level of grief? And so, I mean... Clearly, it's it completely devastated my whole life. And I realised very quickly that we are living in a very grief illiterate society. We don't know how to process grief. We don't know how to process trauma. And we don't know how to support people who are grieving. Mm. And that kind of led me on this journey of self-discovery, but also trying to understand and process my own grief at the same time because of how I was placed in my career helping others and then honouring my son, Aaron, through helping others. So it's been quite the journey. I can imagine. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're sorry to hear about your loss, but wonderful that you've had, I guess, that experience beforehand on how you can then move that and focus it where you might need to and help others through that same journey as well and I know it's there's not a destination here it's more about a journey and how you process that minute by minute day by day etc and so I'd love to hear more about you know your thoughts on you know what what grief is and um, and then some of those practical tips I guess in dealing with that and I'm, I'm sure you've seen some impractical tips as well um, in some of your work as well and um, I know that there's a number of people out there that I've spoken to where you sort of go oh no that's not quite the right thing people who love to give lots of advice and talk about their own stories which is sometimes fine but I know it's a very personal and individual experience as well so tell us from your perspective it is an absolutely unique experience and everyone will grieve differently we tend to be in a society where we're, we want to fix people, we want people to be happy. But people who are grieving aren't broken. It's yeah. actually a normal and natural response to loss. And so for me, grief is loss. And loss is so many things. I mean, I work with so many people who don't even realise that what they're experiencing is grief mm. because they don't call it grief. They don't connect with it as grief. And so for me, grief is love is loss. So Mm. if you lose something that you care about or that you love, you will grieve. Mm. And it has many faces. I mean, there is death, of course. Everyone associates death with grief. But there's so many other layers to the grief conversation. There's uh, relationship breakdowns, divorce, 
betrayals, there's health, our health and wellness. If, yes. if you lose or uh, are diagnosed with a disease, there's a significant loss there. Loss of a job. Yes. A career, a career. career transitions, retrenchment, exactly. Pet loss yes. is very uh, underappreciated. Mm. Yes, yes. And also there's a lot of loss around um, pregnancy and birth, stillborn, miscarriages, yes. infertility, mm. um, you know, infant death. And then also, I mean, we live in a country that has so many natural disasters or a world that has so many natural mm. disasters mm. and war and there's so much grief and loss associated with your belongings, your homes, how, where you're situated, the things that anything that's important to you, if you lose it, there will be a, an element of grief that goes along with that. Yes, I think we, we can underestimate sometimes, you know, just uh, a change can, you know, leaving something and starting something new, even though the mm. new might be exciting, you're leaving behind something. And that, that can be a loss in itself. And it's like, you know, that those mixed feelings that, that can come with that, I'm yeah, sure. The life transitions. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, so I'm, I'm hearing there that's, it's, you know, there's a, quite an expanse with the type of grief and, and loss. And I assume there'd be different ways then that we'd um, acknowledge that and process that for ourselves. So what would be sort of some of those practical tips? Yeah, let's get into the tips, shall mm. we? <laughs> There are so many ways that we can grieve and there are so many ways that we need to process our loss and it depends on the level of the loss as to, to what you need. If it's a traumatic loss, you know, you will need to focus on drinking water mm. because the shock dehydrates you. When yes. I get those phone calls, which I get regularly, yeah. it's rem- rem- remember to drink your water, remember to eat healthy foods because yes. it can affect our appetites. Yes. Move your body because grief is actually really heavy. It's one of the heaviest emotions we can carry in our body. Mm. And so physically there's an inertia that goes with that. So moving your body is useful. And just accepting where you're at, which isn't always easy, Um, eating the healthy foods, having boundaries around visitors, having boundaries around actually saying no. No is a complete sentence. If people want to help you and you want to say no, that's okay. What about sleep? Sleep is really important. Some people will be able to sleep and some people will not. It affects everyone differently. For me, I slept like a log. Yeah. But going to bed, that that time going to bed, that's when the mind starts. So I would put Mm. off going to bed. Mm. So sleep is different. I actually have a whole 20 tips for sleep on my website. If anyone wants to look that article up, it's a really well-researched article. But Um, I do recommend getting professional support, whether mm -hmm. you think you need it or not. It will guide you, whether you can get resources. There's so much support out there, joining support groups. Um, And just learning about grief can be really useful as well, looking into resources and and books and things like that. Yeah, look, I I love those tips around, obviously, as a nutritionist, we're really keen to focus in on food and healthy eating and, and particularly mood foods that just can, you know, it doesn't make anything go away, but just you know, keeps the status quo so that you can still function and at least maybe go out for a walk and get some mm. vitamin D and some sunshine. Mm. Um, I, I take your point on the water. It's it's one of those things that we forget about and, you know, absolutely how you might very dehydrating time you as well. Lots of tears, tears absolutely. Yeah. The shock, the tears dehydrate you, but you're in so much shock in early grief that you actually, I couldn't even remember to drink. Really. Yes. So I had to get friends to send me photos. Yes. 
here. Drink bottles and water, and, <laughs> yeah. and it was it, that was my trigger to remind me to drink. Oh. Yes. And I lost five kilos in that first week. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You forget to, to drink your, your, well, I know from a physiological perspective that like any stressful event, you, cortisol will turn off your digestion and it'll go, you know, stop, we don't need that at the moment mm. because we just need to run from the saber-toothed tiger yes. or whatever that mm. primitive brain yeah. is telling us is is stop digestion and um, there's definitely no no hunger there. So having some things that might be really easy to eat but also healthy, um, I always talk about the good old veggie soups and things <laughs> like that. Tell people to bring you some food even though you might not be wanting to eat it, freeze it, that sort of thing as well. But um, I love that, that, that uh, I guess, that description of that heavy feeling. It's one of the heaviest emotions. Mm. Um, that's kind of an apt description from, from my perspective as well. Um, but, yes, 20 tips on sleep. I'm, I know a couple of people that might uh, be keen to look that up, mm. um, especially. What about um, spiritual and religious sort of support? When it comes to spiritual and religious work, when I work with clients, I meet them where they are. So it doesn't actually matter what their belief system is. Mm -hmm. For many people, their spiritual and religious beliefs will be become stronger. They'll mm -hmm. become more reinforced. For others, they'll completely disappear. Mm -hmm. Yes, It can go either way and sure. there is no right or wrong way. No. It's just finding your way, finding your path and finding people that you can work with who will support you in that space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's lots of resources out there. I've heard different people talk about, you know, I had this book, but this book wasn't so good, but this one sat well with me and finding the right um, resources or feeling resourceful enough to go out and find resources, I think is the the tricky one. And, and that professional help is really important as well. Um, so tell us about a timeline for grief. That kind of sounds like a misnomer in itself, but, um, you know, sort of the, the process of grief and and if, if there is a timeline around grief. There is no timeline no, around grief. <laughs> I think one of the biggest myths that's, that's responsible for more damage in this world than anything else is that time heals all wounds. Yes. Mm. Time doesn't heal all wounds. It's what you do with that time that matters. Some people will heal their pain. Other people will just totally avoid the pain, suppress it, put their head in the sand, and that pain will resurface 30, 40 years later. Mm -hmm. It's not unusual for me to be working with people who have loss from their childhood or significant loss from, from early years coming forth now and recognising how it's affecting them now. Yes. When it comes to a timeline in grief, many people out there kind of think, six months, she'll be right, you know, we'll, we'll call her then. But that it doesn't work that no. way because if you think about it for a moment, Aaron, my son, will always be dead. Mm. There will never come a time when I don't miss him. Yes. Mm. So that grief, although it changes yes. because I've done the work, how it sits in my body and I'm moving more towards love than pain and loss and grief, Yes. it does transition and you are able to get there. But there are many people who have lost children, for example, yes. who are stuck still 20 years later. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it. yeah, it's about learning to integrate the loss. It's about learning how to process the pain through the physical body, through the thoughts, through the emotions, through your spiritual and your you know, religious beliefs, whatever mm. systems you're using, and learning how to build a life around your loss. I think I heard one term once that... Um, resonated with me it's not you know not that it goes away but you get used to it and and about how you put those processes or supports around you to find a, a place for it to sit 
that you can still function. But as you said there, you're still always going to have that loss. You're still always going to, to miss that, that person or thing or, or process that it may be as well. Um, so yes, uh, and I often hear people sort of, you know, very much in Australian society, you know, just dust yourself off. You'll be right. And mm, get over and, and it and now. Shouldn't, shouldn't forward, they be over that yeah. by now? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know, be, be careful about putting those messages out there to someone who, who may be grieving as well. Can I just say something quickly about that? If, if anyone's having those thoughts, oh, they should be over it by now, that's actually your stuff, not theirs. Yeah. Yes. That's you not accepting and appreciating where they're at at that yes, point in time. True. Nice pick up there mm. as well. Yeah, so what's going on for you if you're feeling those things? And, um, and you know, I think some people who are surrounding people who are grieving also have a different kind of grief process as well and different timings and timelines as well, I imagine, as well. So tricky question, but how do you process it? How do you get to that resourceful state to be able to to process yeah, something so self, big? That's where the self-directed healing has been really powerful for me because the self-directed healing process as a modality it actually connects you and helps you feel your emotional pain. And it also processes the limiting beliefs. So you can work with the guilt, you can work with shame, you can work with all those things that come up. But if I had to boil it down into its simplest form, it's I actually embrace what's there. I lean in, I get really curious about whatever I'm feeling because everything that we're feeling, it's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so the more curious you can get about that, lean in, what am I feeling? Where is it in my body? anchoring it actually in the physical body and then I just feel it fully. Yeah. Because emotions in nature are quite fleeting. They pass. Mm -hmm. It's like riding a wave. I just want to ride it all the way into shore. You know? Yes. If I've got three hundred tears to cry, I'm not stopping at two fifty. I'm I'm going I'm all in. I like that. I like that a lot because I think, you know, there is that that view that you I know a lot of people have got very busy you know they they fill their lives with things or activities that keep them so busy that they don't need to focus on mm. and I, I'm worried if sometimes I might just blow you know a little a little bit and you know the cracks will will form and so you know if you I guess if you're feeling those emotions is it about then creating a space for you to be able to do that with support around you and that you know that you're going to be okay on the other side of that as well? It takes practice yeah, and it takes courage to lean in and feel our emotions because we're in a society that doesn't teach us how to feel. It teaches us how to switch them off or to numb it with medication. Mm. And so the work is to learn how to feel those emotions and to be okay with that. Anger, sadness, they're all normal, natural human expressions so the more we can learn to express them in healthy ways, the better off we're all going to be individually, but also as a collective. And so the work with, with feeling those emotions, it's just, there's nothing more important as far as I'm concerned. It is the pathway and learning to process them in those healthy and natural ways, it's the, it's the way forward. So, yeah. Does writing things down help? Oh, there are so many strategies, yes, because you can use your journaling, you can use that as a conduit to help you express what's there so long as you're feeling it. It's like dancing, yes. music. Mm-hmm. Music yes. is a beautiful conduit as well. Exercise. Getting it yeah. from here. Boxing, Something. you know, running. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So finding the thing that might resonate best with you to Correct. to help you move through it rather then than... then connect with what you're actually feeling. Allow yourself to feel it. And if it doesn't pass, see, some people have a a fear that if they start crying, they'll never stop. Yeah. Mm. Or if they let their anger out, that yes. monster out, it will do damage. Mm, yes. Now, 
they clearly need some support with that. That's where you reach out for help. That's where I step in. But the other thing is, is some people, I say emotions are fleeting in nature and they'll pass. If it doesn't pass for you, it turns into a mood and the moods is where we end up in depression, anxiety, mm, yes. overwhelm, fatigue. Mm. And so that also is a pretty good indication that you might need some support with that. Yes. Sometimes it can be serving you as a secondary game, but I'm not going to get into too yes. much of the technical stuff today. But old wounds will resurface in your loss as well. It can trigger a sense of loneliness. No one understands me. You know, old wounds will come mm. up, patterns. Abandonment or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So there's so many factors. It sounds like, you know, it, it is a very personalised space, but, um, you know, leaning into it, not being frightened to lean into it, and if you are concerned that you might not come out the other side, it's that's when you need the professional support to do that as well and, and helping you to lean into that as well. Um so from that perspective, I know there's obviously lots of different supports and, and suggestions, but what would you give to people who are currently in that grieving process? And I, you know, I imagine that's a very broad topic um, to cover, but um, is there sort of some starting points um, that you would think about other than, you know, leaning in and getting the support obviously is really important? The support's really important, but... A lot of the things that we've talked about today, the journaling, the getting clear about how you're feeling, talking to other people, but talking to people who listen yes, <laughs> can, can be really useful. I just, you know, it's important for everybody to understand that it actually is possible to heal. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. Healing is possible and it is possible in natural and healthy ways. And I say that because Australia has the second highest rate in the world for prescribing for antidepressants and mm, anti-anxiety medication. It does. And I know I could have gone to the doctor, but I'd also done enough work to know I didn't need medication. And so it is possible. It is a skill that we need to learn. It's a bit like going to the gym, learning to feel your emotions. Mm. As a trauma response, many people have disconnected from what they feel. And so then we need to sort of start with sensations in the body. I'm noticing my heart racing. Okay, my heart's racing. They might not even have a a label, an emotional label that goes with it. It's, it's just a practice that you build over time. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah. It can also be really useful to create rituals. Mm. So if you've lost somebody that you love, for example, special occasions are... Oh, they're awful. Yes. And often you'll anticipate them. Especially the firsts the of. Weeks, the anniversaries and the birthdays. First of and, and the second of. Yes. And yeah. Christmas and yes. New Year's is one of the hardest days for grievers. Totally blindsided me. Mm. I've got a video on that on my YouTube channel. Wow. But um, it's it's creating rituals. So, you know, planting plants or, you know, going and visiting a special place, setting a place at the table, lighting candles, working with photos like whatever feels right for you I mm. couldn't have photos around the house in the beginning because it triggered me too much yes but then as time went on now I have more photos around the house yes. so it's mm. cooking their favorite meal having conversations um, I do a lot of journaling Aaron visits me spiritually and so I capture those and I'm writing those down and I may do a book one day okay. yes but, um, it's yeah that's really lovely rituals. and it's and I think they're nice rituals where they might um if you're ready for it to connect you with 
that loved one. And I know, um, you know, people around me have talked about either music pieces or just when they get different signs in nature that they say, oh, that's a little, you know, and they say hello and they, they have a communication with um, mm. the, the, the person or um, the animal as it may be with, with pets as well uh, and that that um, helps process and acknowledge and, um, um, and, and it's kind of just something special between, you know, that, that person and their, their loss process. Um, so really, really tricky and some trickier events when things are sudden and traumatic mm. and I understand trauma and grief together is kind of a double whammy and I can imagine multiple losses can be yes. um, a, a fairly significant thing as well. So, And I know we've, we've got a, a war going on at the moment and thousands of people um, suffering sort of multiple losses. You know, what do we how do we process that for even ourselves, but um, people with multiple losses as well? Multiple losses is more complex because what happens is as you're sitting with one loss, it's like, oh, I've lost my job. What am I going to do? And then the next minute it's, oh, my dog's died. And then it's like mm, rabbit. It's mm. like it's rabbits like in a field effect. and one yeah. pops up and the next pops up. Yes. When it comes to multiple loss, it's, it's not – possible to really heal if you're grieving many things all at once Mm. you actually need to almost compartmentalize not a fan of compartmentalization but Mm. in the instance of multiple losses it can be very useful to focus on one at a time and then when the other one comes up it's like oh I'm just it's almost like if you're out dating or you're out with a friend Mm. oh I'm with Jean at the moment I'll come to you tomorrow Mm. and just sit with one at a time Mm. That can be really, it's it's mm. the most useful strategy okay. is, is noticing that you're with one loss, the next loss comes in, it's almost like park it, but yeah. come back to it and yes. just work with one at a time. Yes. That loss is just too overwhelming. Very though, overwhelming. Yeah. I can't imagine mm. how that must be. But it is it is one of those things that you sort of say, oh, you know, do I block this one out? And it's not that you're blocking it out, you're pausing on it for a moment and then revisiting. Because I imagine that, you know, if if they happen in a sequence of time, but not necessarily at the same time, you know, you could be different places with each one, mm. and that, I imagine mm. that being very confusing and very and even as well. within one loss, you can have many losses because there's secondary losses that come off the back of that. If you go through a relationship breakdown, it changes the dynamics of the relationships that you have because yes. you were going out and meeting couples, and now all of a sudden you're single, and exactly. so there's many secondary losses. If you've lost your spouse. Who was the cook? Who paid the bills? Who mowed the lawn? Mm. Who did the garden? Yes. There's all these additional losses. So yes. They just all need time. And and it's not a race. No. No. It's not. no. I was thinking also that the kind of loss too, I mean, when people take their own lives, that's so, I mean, that's an incredibly traumatic thing, of course, for, for mm. people who cared about them too. Mm. Um, and there's, an, there's another layer that perhaps people have to deal with on top of it, mm. the, the, the grief too. Yeah. Suicide uh, doesn't get the same amount of support as other losses, which is really, mm. really tragic mm. because those families need more understanding. The, you know, they're in the depths sure. of despair and, exactly. and usually blindsided. I find in my experience with death by suicide, and I don't say committed suicide, I say death by suicide, mm-hmm. is that it's it's not so much that people want to die, it's that they're in so much pain they don't know how to live yes. and they want to switch the pain off. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So self-directed healing, again, is really powerful working with clients who have suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. and allowing that some space to be witnessed and processed and it can then leave the body. Because I imagine the thinking leading up to that could also be grief in itself, that that the person who is having those suicidal thoughts are having them about themselves as a a grief of something that's not there Mm. or, as you're saying there, grief about not being able to live or pain or loss of joy. Yeah. yeah, well, like I said, with the emotions, they're, they're quite fleeting in nature. But if we don't process them, they turn into moods. Yeah. Anyone who wants to die, that's, that's a buildup of emotional pain and mm. angst and mental torture that's not been processed. Yeah. So it needs to be processed. It needs to be processed and mm. and that's something you can help people with. Yeah. Um, so tell us, Christy, I think that's wonderful information. I've written down lots of little points. One is, you know, the water and the healthy foods and, you know, obviously getting the, the tips, the sleep we're talking about there and ways to sort of lean into it and um, be able to process and getting support to be able to process that as well. So I think there's some wonderful pieces there. And if people want to find out more and get that support um, from you, Christy, where can they go? So my website is christyrobertscoaching.com. Yes. That's the best place to find me. I also have a YouTube channel, which is Christy Roberts Creating Change. Okay. Well, we can put those on our Facebook page, Big Life Conversation, for people yeah. as well. And, and I'm on all and the socials that. too. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, do you work remotely as well as on site with people? Do you? How do you work? Yeah, great question. I work remotely. I work globally. I train practitioners worldwide, so I work with clients worldwide wow. as well. So people can access you anywhere. Correct. It doesn't. You. They don't have to be in the local community area. Correct. They can be, but I am they don't local, have to. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I also because I run the wellbeing workshop. So if they're in Melbourne, I run them face to face for organisations just to improve. Because my background is organisation development, leadership development, Mm -hmm. human resources, the suite of wellbeing workshops that I run help employers to meet or change the culture within organisations to meet their psychological safety requirements. Mm -hmm. So I run Master Your Time, Crucial Conversations. Mm -hmm. I teach about fatigue, emotional balance, living with grief and trauma, which I think every single leader and HR practitioner needs. Absolutely. And there's some that are not very good at doing that, (laughs) I have to say, in organisations, but they haven't been equipped with the resources. So, you know, good work, good Mm. work to do. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us those little snippets there and and on a very important topic. Um, So it feels so very special to have you in the um, studio today, face-to-face as well, which is a bit of a treat for us. Um, And uh, as we said, we will put all of that information on Big Life Convo, the Facebook page, um, as well as um, you can go directly to Christy Roberts's um, coaching.com page and get all of that information there. If you have someone that um, is going through grief or you yourself are and you need that additional support there is support out there um, as well as a number of different you know wonderful um, you know lifeline and um, all of the wonderful groups that we know that are out there as well so thank you so much for coming to see us today you're most welcome thank you for having me thanks a lot Christy And welcome back, 3WBC 94.1. This is Big Life Conversation with Barbara and Nicole. We're here with you until 6 o'clock this evening. And we've just had our first guest, a wonderful Christy Roberts, who spoke to us about, uh, she's a grief educator and coach, but she spoke to us about um, healing in healthy ways and um, some of the 
things that people experience, some of the supports that you can get and some of the things that you can do if you are in the midst of grieving a loss, which might not necessarily be a loss of a person, could be a loss of a pet or a job. As we were saying, loss can take many, many different forms. So wonderful to have her uh, talk to us about all of those things and we will put her contact details up on our Facebook page uh, later. But we've got other things coming up for you now. Um, Not only some entertainment, but also a little bit of health news as well. Mm. Um, Barbara, where would we like to start? Um, Actually, I was thinking of you, Nicole, too, because coming back from travelling, I think that um, I thought it was over my jet lag, but I think it may be like grief, it can can come in waves, (laughs) um, dare I suggest. Um, And, yeah, even just over a week later, I'm still still tired. Um, And I don't know if it's because I ran around like a lunatic while I was away (laughs) and also, of course, the time difference when you're coming home. And I I know it's first world problems, but, yeah, it just seems to be – I feel like it's taken me a while to get back into here and I think, oh, I'm fine now, and then I think, no, I'm not. This is a little while later. I don't know whether you've experienced the same. I've definitely found that typically on the way back when when I'm in the bit of the lull. On the way over, I think sometimes the adrenaline and the excitement can get you through. And on the way back, we're in a little bit of a... Yeah, you know, yes. this, that's gone. Yeah, it's, an, exactly. it's a loss in in itself, yes, isn't it? Yes, that's true, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah. so do you have a little travel segment for us? Well, just some little things just to, to, to perhaps people might want to think about. Um, and maybe, and I know you've done lots of travelling yourself, um, but I found while I was away, if you're short on time and or energy, one way to get an overview of a place, and if you've got the time and the energy to go back and explore that, is to hop on some of these hop-on, hop-off bus I tours. I love a hop-on, hop-off bus. You've done it too. Yes. I have yes. absolutely done them. And when, when you're not a tourist, you, you sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, look at everybody yes. looking at us <laughs> like we're in a zoo or something. But how convenient are they? They're so good. They are. And I, I don't know whether you found some of the ones that you're on. When I was in London, um, we had a, a mixture of uh, pre-recorded uh, commentaries and also the real live people who were fantastic. I know that some of them were actors or some of them were academics, and but they could really fill you in on the history of various places that you were going through and going past. And um, yeah, and they really seemed to relish what, what they were doing. And um, yeah, so I just found that if you think, oh, great, that's a spot we'll go and check out a bit later um, if you ha- if you have the time or the energy. Also, went on the old in um, you might have done this one as well, the the Jack. The Ripper Tour. Oh, uh, I didn't yes, do that, yes. but I would love to do that. Um, yes, so that's that's interesting. With someone holding my hand, yeah. though. <laughs> yes, we, we went when it was still daylight out, so yes. that was probably just as well. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, all, the, all these sort of little things that um, you can find out about. Now, some of these things uh, you might be – and as my, my friend whom I went with is, is super organised, and I'm quite the opposite, and both can have their pros and cons. If you book everything up to the max, um, sometimes you find out that maybe you're actually, be- actually better off booking things when you're actually – at the location because they have special offers and deals. By the same token, you're taking a bit of a chance because sometimes things can be booked out, so you really have to weigh it up as to uh, how flexible you can be. To and flexibility is the key, of course, when you're travelling, Nicole. Uh, I think it's number one. Yes, it's uh, plans can change, especially post COVID. We don't quite have everything back to the norm. Exactly. There's lots going on in the world at the moment as well. Exactly. Uh, travel insurance probably being another thing yes. that's very important. But I love the hop on hop off bus and every city that I've been to, I'd have to say I've I've looked for one. You get a little yes. bit of a snapshot. Um, London's a fantastic one because it yes. takes you to all of the main sites. Exactly. exactly. Um, I've done one in Darwin, which was oh, great. Okay. Um, yeah, New York yeah. one was interesting mm-hmm. in that the, the sort of bottom half in Manhattan, it was great. Then you sort of got to the top half oh. and you sort of felt like you were the person 
um, in the zoo oh, queue, really? <laughs> looking, you know, like people sort of being observed. Oh, I see. Um, oh, so there was a right. little bit of that feeling, and I thought mm, maybe that wasn't so good to do a tour up in a bus, up oh, high, I, oh, looking yeah, yeah, down. Yeah, um, so, but yes, I thoroughly agree with you on that front, and the flexibility is super important. Yeah, and a lot of them, are, um, you, you can buy a ticket which will actually cover you for twenty four hours. So literally, you can hop off if you actually find a spot. Oh, this looks great. Let's go and explore this, and then you can hop back on a bit later. Um, some of them actually time with boat tours on the river, on the on the Thames. I know there was one in Prague that actually, as I did too, one going one direction of the city, one going the other, and oh, great. Uh, you can actually do one actually and. Um, um, you can incorporate a boat trip depending oh, on your finances and your and your beautiful. time, which would be lovely to do. I didn't get the boat trip, but that, you know I had the had the two the two bus trips. But um, also depending on, of course, if you're travelling on your own or whether you're travelling with someone. Now, when you're on your own, um, a, a hop on hop off busing can be a great thing. You can get to meet other people too, yes, um, which can be a good thing too. I also have to say that I, in German in Germany, I was in Berlin and it was just a, a very fleeting visit. But I did the hop on hop off bus tour there, and I thought this is a bit of a shame because uh, the the um, the trip in Prague, they were very clever. They had a number of uh, languages you could tune, tune into in your little gadget on the bus. They didn't have real life people um, actually giving the tour, but um, they they had people you could, you could pick your language. But in Germany, it was all in German. Now I, ha- I have a smattering of German, and I'm thinking, why would you do this? I mean, I, anyway, I mean English is widely spoken in, in Germany anyway. But um, anyway, at um, one stage, I was getting a bit worried, and I actually said to the the, the, the bus driver, who didn't speak much English either, which I think is very strange. Anyway, I did my my basic German and Vorwist. Um, uh, 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 the Brandenburg Gate. <laughs> Bitter. Where is the Brandenburg Gate, please? And she, you know, she said, "Oh, you know, you know, it's coming. It's you know, it's common." Yes. Anyway, so, so I did get to see. It. But um, anyway, so just little little tips like that you have to, perhaps have to be aware of. And, yes. And, uh, and also, if you can try and master a few basic words in, if you're in a foreign country, I think that's very important. Yes, please. Thank you. Yes. No. Where is? <laughs> or and how do I order? And, and for how me, much? It was, it, for yes. me, it was the word vegetarian in most course, languages vegetariano oh, yes. and and you know yes. which which one which country might understand that and not yes um, good point. another good word to learn i think um my mum's traveled a lot and yes. uh, she was in france and she said it was one place where everything was in French. Right. And so having never studied French, oh, that was yes. quite tricky. Uh, so when someone could actually sit with you or and talk with you and uh, yeah. translate, that was very, very helpful. And knowing a few words. Knowing a few words. Helpful. And of course, you, you can always resort. If you've got your phone with you, you can quickly look up something, you know, Google, what is the word for such and such and such and such a language? I must admit, I've had a smattering of languages, you know, at, at school and uni or whatever, but um, the one that I really felt a bit out of my depth, unfortunately, I didn't have to work too hard, was when I was in Prague talking Czech. I mean, that's really yes, so that's totally like, obscure for bit me. more obscure. <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot of people in the tourist areas, they do speak English anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I guess it just shows a courtesy. If, if you make a little bit of an effort, people think you're, you, you are trying to. Yes. You are trying to fit in or, you know, you're, you're making a bit of You're not just expecting everyone to, to spoon feed you. And so I think most people will um, appreciate your effort. Years ago when I was in France, so I had someone trying to correct my French pronunciation when I asked <laughs> where the particular station was. Yes. But anyway, um, but yeah, if you can, yeah, take your little guidebook or take your little phrase book or, or use your phone just to help break the ice a bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's lots of tools that are there that I 
didn't have available to me when I was travelling, yes. such as, you know, just putting the Google Translate on and letting them talk to it and, exactly. it and it translate for you. I'm not sure how accurate that is, by the way. So anyway, <laughs> yes, we, might, we might have to hear a little bit more after the break because we have our second guest yes, lined up. Um, we're going to be speaking with Kapi Nambia from Nambia Hog Family Lawyers and she's going to be talking to us about disputes about names. Mm. So um, having a look at, you know, some interesting names that some um, – Stars uh, have given and some people in the limelight have given their uh, children names and you might think of one of one methamphetamine rules um, that came up most recently. Oh. I would think about the one <laughs> apple when that came out oh, yes. with Gwyneth Paltrow. So we will be talking with her shortly just after this tune. You're on Big Life Conversation. This is Dua Lipa. I can dance. Can we dance? Yes, we can. We uh, You're certainly dressed can. For it. I am dressed for it. I have got sequins on in the studio. So look out. Um, about to uh, speak with um, a wonderful uh, family lawyer expert that is friend of the show and comes and talks to us on a regular basis. The wonderful Cuppy Nambia from Nambia Hog Family Lawyers, and a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is all about disputes about names. And I know we were mentioning earlier that there's some movie stars who'd had some very interesting names over the years, so I'm really looking forward to this topic. Welcome to the show, Cuppy. Thank you. Hello, well, welcome everybody. back, I should say. Hi, Cuppy. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. How are you? Not too badly, thanks. Yes, just the two of us in the studio today, uh, Barbara and myself. So lovely to have you back. I know we've had a few little studio glitches in the past, which hasn't been very much fun, but um, great to talk with you today. So this is a very interesting topic. Yes, well, I, I got um, to thinking about it because there was a uh, there was an article in the Age recently about a journalist in New South Wales um, at the ABC. And she did a little experiment in relation to registering her baby's name. So um, she submitted the name Methamphetamine Rule. That's right. <laughs> I remember this um, one. <laughs> so she put that in her application for registration of her baby's birth um, because she was looking at what names can legally be given to a baby in Australia. And she wanted to test what would happen so she came up with the most outrageous name that she could think of. And Thank <laughs> goodness it was happened. a test. <laughs> yes, however, it slipped through the crack really? and it was registered. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, what that means is that they can change the baby's name, but it will forever be on the register, <laughs> on the register as the baby's original name. Mm-hmm. That's traumatic for the baby? Yeah. <laughs> yes, potentially. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's obviously a big boo-boo. The registrar isn't supposed to approve a name if it's offensive um, or if it's not in the public interest. Yes. Um, it also has other criteria. So, for example, it won't approve a name that has more than 50 characters. Oh, okay. um, If it includes symbols, so Prince would not be able to register his no. name in Australia. There's been a um, few with symbols over the year, most mm. recent I, years. I suspect in the States they're a little more flexible than we are. Yes. Um, because we also hear we won't uh, include an official title or a rank. Right. Because you can't register princess or queen or goddess if oh. you wanted to. <laughs> what a um, shame. <laughs> Mr. Bowden. Um, <laughs> looking like a sparkle too. princess today, I have to say. <laughs> Well, that's okay as a nickname. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so sometimes, um, you know, 
sometimes um, one parent has some um, more out there ideas than the other. Um, some, some of the celebrity names that, I, that came to mind were Techno Mechanicus. Oh, Elon Musk called one of his yes, kids back. that's right. Um, and Brianna called her baby RZA. Yes. Mm. I'm not sure how you pronounce that no. in schoolyard, but... Um, so, so I was thinking about um, what happens when one parent doesn't like the name that the other parent chooses or um, one parent doesn't want to use the other parent's yes. surname. You know, do you hyphenate them? What if you can't agree to do that? <laughs> um, and the other thing was, so that in relation to kids, there's a whole lot of stuff we'll, that we'll talk about. And then sometimes it's in relation to at the end of a relationship where one party says, I don't want my ex using my surname that anymore. Name. Uh, yes. Or a hyphenated version, mm. or yes, mm. okay, yeah. yeah. So I'll come back to that just anecdotally. Um, my youngest son has just um, finished secondary school; and he's about to start his year twelve exams. Yes. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. And yes. I was looking at the list of all of the students who um, are in his year at school, and there were very few hyphenated surnames in you know in a group of hundreds of kids, which I found really surprising. Mm. We, we normally hear a few hyphenated more so with perhaps women wanting to keep their name but also associate mm. but not totally associate with yeah, their partners. Yeah, or yeah so, so I was quite surprised about that. Oh. But anyway, I, so I don't know whether that's, that's just that particular school community or if that's indicative of, um, of what's happening in the wider um, you know, in wider Melbourne. Yes. I'm wondering yeah. if the hyphens being dropped itself and the, the names are there. I know when I was thinking about naming my son, I was thinking about my dad's names and almost incorporating those almost mm. in, as a surname as well, like it could be a middle name or a surname and um, without the hyphen. Um, yeah. Yeah, where some names yeah. can be both surnames and first names. Yeah, interesting to know what people are doing. Mm. Mm. So I thought we'd talk about what do we do when we can't agree Agreeing on, a name. on what to call our child. <laughs> yes. um, and, and remembering, too, that often this is in an intact relationship. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I recall that. Yes, it's mm. trying to find yeah. that happy place in between, yes. Yeah, so it's a little bit tricky. So so what does the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages do? Um, well, obviously this must come up a lot because they've actually got a name dispute policy oh, which really? they publish on their website. Yeah. yeah. So it tells us what parents have to do and what the registry will do um, to assign a child's name if there's a dispute. Wow. So this could so, happen in an intact relationship just upon birth, you know. <laughs> the oh, child, yeah. child is nameless until. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and uh, that seems to be a bit of a trend too. I think you often hear of people... They've had a baby and but they they don't release the name of the baby yet because yes. maybe it's because they haven't agreed. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so what the registry does is if they so they they might get an application. Um, so when, when they have to, you know, you have to lodge your registration of birth. Um, if they were, if they receive two applications and they've got two different names for the one child, um, or they've got an application that only one parent has signed the consent part, um, that will. Um, tweak them to the issue um, at hand, yes. um, then they'll send you off for mediation. Um, and either you, if you don't reach agreement at mediation or if one of the parents won't go to mediation, um, then the parents can elect for the registrar to assign a name. Oh, wow. Okay, and the way that that then works is, is like this. So the registrar will give the first name as the given name 
preferred by each parent in alphabetical order. So let's say wow. you've got, um, let's say one one picks John and one picks Kevin. Yes. Um, then they'll they'll name the child John Kevin. Right? Okay. They won't give a middle name unless the parents agree on the middle name. <laughs> so that if if they don't get a middle name, then obviously in this example, Kevin becomes the middle name. So you've got John Kevin. <sighs> And then the surname will be both parents' names in alphabetical order and hyphenated. Okay. So let's say it's Brown and Smith, this child will become John Kevin Brown hyphen Smith. Yes, yes. Uh, and I can see why you might be looking for those names then in that list, you know, to see some of those hyphenated names where, where that may have actually happened. I guess yeah, what, yeah. what happens then if you do later agree on a name, though? Well, I guess you, you can go back and change, change both. Yeah. But it's important to remember that once you've had a name assigned, it's on the record forever. Yeah. So you know, it's going to. If you go back and get your birth certificate, it will show the change of name on there. Yes. So Dear parents, what happened when I was born? Someone might say this is a case of child abuse. I guess some of these names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yes, that's right. Yes. So, so then after that, there's, there, you know, there's an appeal process that you can go through. So you can, if you don't like the name, if you don't like the way that the registrar does it, you can apply to the county court for an order that yes. the registrar assigns a name. Um, and then if you don't like, or, or if the registrar has assigned the name, you then have to go to VCAT and review the decision. Wow. Um, and so the um, so VCAT will then look at whether the name dispute policy that I mentioned earlier has been mm. followed properly, mm. um, and then they'll look at the uh, the way that the registrar has applied that. So, um, and alternatively, if, you, if they've gone to the county court to get uh, an order made about the name, then they can appeal to the Supreme Court. Oh my goodness, so it can be quite so, involved. It does seem like a lot of trouble yeah. and to go to, yes. um, but you know, people do get very passionate about, about their baby's <laughs> name. Yes, I know, I... I had to acquiesce and and go with the middle name um, because there was strong opinions about the first name, but I didn't have the same as strong opinions. So, you know, it was about who had the most uh, grief around that and, and, you know, probably the, the best way to go. Um, having since spoken to child, said children, they said, oh, I really like our middle names. I said, thank you. <laughs> um, no, well, so, yeah, quite a big... Um, who knew i didn't know that but um something very new there and so if people are separated then what happens with those changes so what we find often happens at separation is that one parent will want to change the surname of a child mm -hmm. um, or, or all of the children um, often wanting to um get rid of the name of the other person yes. mm -hmm. um sometimes it's because they want a clean break. So, for example, if a child isn't seeing one parent, then they might want to change that child's name. Um, if there's family violence, then you might need a change of name to protect the child from right. being located. Mm, yes. Um, so sometimes there are valid reasons. Sometimes there are more whimsical reasons. Yes. Um, sometimes the dispute is about legally changing a name, and sometimes it's just about using a different name without okay. actually legally changing it. Yes. So sometimes, for example, a parent might enrol the child at school um, with their name rather than the name of their, that, that, that is registered on their birth certificate, um, and then that becomes an area for dispute. So when, when we look at 
disputes about names, uh, a child's name is considered a major long-term care, welfare and development decision, mm. um, much like most parenting decisions are treated in the Federal Circuit and Family okay. Court. Um, and the Family Law Act and the court says you need to consult and try to agree about this stuff, people. Um, and if you can't agree, um, then you're, then we'll get the court's going to have to make orders. Okay, yeah, and that gets uh, a little bit messier and a bit more expensive, I imagine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. So when there, is, when, there is a, when there is a dispute, the parties can apply to the court, but they, they first got to try to resolve it, so they've got to go to family dispute resolution, as they do with any other type of parenting dispute, um, and they've got to try to make a genuine effort to reach agreement. But if they can't, then they proceed to court, and the court will, will, as it does with any other type of parenting issue, it will look at what are the best interests of the child. Mm. Um, but some of the things that they'll take into account when they're considering that are things like what will be the short and long-term effects of any change in the child's name. Mm -hmm. um, will it cause embarrassment, for example, if that child lives in a house with other children and they've got a different name to the other children uh, yes, um, no, or they've got a different name to the parent who they live with? Yes. Um, you know, at school, for example, that might... might resulting questions being asked. Yes. Um, confusion of identity that might, arrange, uh, that might arise for the child if the name is changed or if the name is not changed. Um, yes. Will it have an effect on the relationship between the child and the parent? Um, you know, if one parent opposes the change, what will that do? How will that impact on the relationship with that parent if their name is taken, is taken off the child's name? Yes, yes. Um, they'll also look at whether there have been any other requests to change a child's name because obviously we don't want lots of random name changes for a child during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, the court will look at how much time the child spends with each of the parents and, and how much time they're likely to in future um, and how much the child identifies with one parent or the other. Yes. That's a, a really interesting one because, you know, often with marriage and probably less often now so people do do a name change and um and you know obviously potentially having regrets about that but that doesn't mm. mean that the child's name needs to change as well mm. um mm. so yeah it's quite a an interesting topic there as well can a child choose to change their name that's an excellent question. <laughs> um, you've got to be 18 to change your own okay, name. Okay, yes. Um, so only adults can, can officially change their name on the register. But if yes. a child, the older a child is, and you know, if a child is 12 years or older, then generally speaking, their wishes will be taken into account. Okay. Is yeah. there a cost actually for doing that in terms of deed poll or whatever you have to do? I, yeah, I think the registry, so if you do it by agreement, uh, there's a fee. That, I'm not, I actually don't know what it is, but the mm -hmm. registry will charge you a fee for changing it. Right. Um, if you have to go to court and fight over it, though, you will spend thousands of dollars yeah. fighting really? about it. Yeah. 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 So you want to be fairly, fairly committed to your <laughs> choice. Absolutely. <laughs> or have some mediation with a family lawyer, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, who knows those steps to um, perhaps get that resolution without needing to go down that pathway. Um, yeah. Yeah, sounds it's like It's important to get advice because, because it can be complicated and tricky and what you might think is a great idea in terms of what you do in relation to the use of the name um, the court might not look at it the same way. So it is a good idea to get advice before you embark on issuing proceedings in court over it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's 
um, good to note to actually get advice and it's not always just a, a simple process, especially if you are uh, perhaps in a in the separated um, parenting arrangement. Yes, yeah. Right. Okay. Because um, I'm just trying to remember back when I was getting married, I think it was a choice on the day as to what I wanted to write my name in on the certificate. And oh, depending yeah. on what I chose, I had one way was more flexibility than the other. So you could actually put your married name in if, should you chose that name and the other uh, ways you could still put your maiden name down and you could choose still each either name. Is that still the case when you get married? Yeah, that's right. In Australia, we're not legally required to take our spouse's family mm. name when we get married or when we live together. We, but we can and, and most women do still take their husband's names on marriage. Um, but there is a growing trend, particularly with same-sex marriage, yes. um, with couples both changing their surnames. Yes. So they might they might make up a, a name that incorporates parts of both of their names, yes. um, or a hyphenated name, or they just come up with a new agreed name. Yes. So you can do all of these things, and then you've got, you've got to go and legally register them so that you can use them, um, for example, to obtain um, identification documents course, or yes. you know, a passport, etc. Mm, yes. Um, and then at the other end of the relationship, if, if people separate, they can keep their ex-partner's surname or they continue. They can keep using the mutually adopted surname. Yes. Um, and people often do that, particularly where they have kids, because they often want kids and parents to have the same surname. Yes. yes. Yeah. No, so we, one thing is that we often have separated husbands saying, can I stop my ex from using my surname? Um short answer is generally no, yeah. um, they can keep using it. Even after their divorce, yes. they, can keep, they can keep using the name. Yes. Okay. So that's um, something that is, yes, uh, a little bit, well, you'd have to go through the process, as you said there, to, to make those changes, and it can be uh, an involved process, I imagine. Yeah, that's right. A tip I would give just from my own life experience, as somebody who practices in their maiden name but kind of has the rest of all, rest of their life admin in their married name. Yes. Um, if you're going to take on your husband's name, make sure you get some photo ID in your maiden name because otherwise later on down the track, when, for example, you start a business, so like a law firm... Oh, I can um, I resemble this remark. Yes. yes. But the problem with that is that then, for example, to open a business bank account, you can't do it in your maiden name, which is the name of, say, your law firm... Um, because you don't have any photo you ID. You have to have the proof. Uh, yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, which is a real issue. I mean, you know, you can provide your marriage certificate and your birth certificate. But the bank says, unless you've got any photo ID, we can't open an account in that name. Yes. I've had issues with that recently, more so for a couple of my degrees are in my maiden name and some are in ah. my married name. And, and yeah. so, you know, registering for a professional body, they're like, well, how do we get proof of this? Um, and then going back to marriage certificate, which I signed my maiden name on, um, and then going to my passport, which is accurate. It's got my married name on. Um, but having the points of ID, sometimes you're still struggling with, you know, oh, well, that's one piece. Where's another piece? And it's like, oh, um, yeah, um, yeah exactly. so it can get tricky. There's got to be a solution to that, I think. I don't yes. know what it is. I don't know what it is Don't either. change your name at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes. Oh, yes, that, 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 that would be. I nearly went with the hyphenated version, but it's it's too long. It's too long. Um, so yes, just went practical anyway. So that is all good. But I didn't I didn't change it for a long time until I had children. So there's this gap where things are in the maiden name and some in the married name. But it's good to know that there's there's processes around and and that it's important enough to have those processes around um, for people as well. So quite fascinating and I Ooh. imagine if there's some children once 18 that are looking at their their name such as <laughs> methamphetamine um, that they might want to change that name <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can scratch it off the birth certificate but it sounds like that's there to stay by the sounds of it yeah, yeah permanent one yeah. so if Not- people want to get in touch with you Cuppy if they, any of this resonates with them um, where's the best way that they can contact you um, we, our, work, our website is a work in progress, but ah. I'm hoping to be announcing shortly um, our new website. But in Fantastic. the meantime, if they just Google Nambia Hogg, they'll yes. come up to a landing page and all of our contact details are there. Fantastic. So Nambia Hogg, Family Lawyers. And we've been speaking with Cuppy Nambia, Director, Accredited Family Law Specialist at Nambia Hogg Family Lawyers. Thanks, Cuppy, for coming to chat with us today. That's a really interesting topic, keeping us always informed. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Thanks so much. Bye. See you again soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And welcome back. You're on Big Life Conversation with Barbara and Nicole. We've been talking to the wonderful Cuppy Nambia about uh, name disputes, when people want to change their name and how they can go about it. So it's quite an involved little process, but really interesting to hear all about that. Uh, it is 20 minutes to six o'clock. We've got a few little things lined up for you shortly, but we thought we might start with um, resuming our little bit of our travel uh, segment from our t- recent travel jet setter, uh, <laughs> Barbara, who um, had a wonderful trip recently and we were talking about the hop on hop off bus and how wonderful that is as a good um, orientation to a new country as well um, which we think is quite wonderful any other little tips like that for us uh, Barbara well I think I did mention um, last time um, that in terms of the kind of traveling you're going to do um, if you're going to be backpacking and moving around a lot it really is important to, to, to be very organised with your luggage. Um, oh, and yes. Yes, and I, and I know that um, and as, as one gets older, it's uh, it's important to have stuff that um, it's not going to kill your back or stuff your legs or knees or whatever if you're dragging things around. But um, my friend, whom I, I travel with quite a bit, Jackie, um, she has got it down to a finite. She's been travelling for 10 years with her. Uh, with her partner, sadly, her partner's no longer with us. But, uh, but she would be very organised with a backpack and um, I think a crossbody bag or something that she would sometimes wear, uh, just, just so that your hands are free. Um, I think the yes. crossbody bag has a lot of wins for women across the board, yes, but exactly. particularly while travelling. Indeed. Uh, if you need, of course, with the airport, with the passport and other things that are easily accessible, uh, you wear it in front of you so you're keeping an eye on it. Um, and, of course, if you really want to be super organised, it's the RFID, the things that are supposed to screen out yes. possible scammers. Yes. Um, yeah, so there are all these little um, things you can – you end up spending a small fortune on too if you want to. Um, now and tags that you can put in your luggage as well. Yes, all of that. Yes, um, that but, be tracked. But, 
Exactly, but um, ultimately, I think if, if something you can you can take that has wheels on it, a case of some sort, I think is is recommended because you might think that um, you might be able to manage a, a, an over the shoulder bag or something like that. But you might find yourself, uh, as one tends to do, that perhaps bring a, a bit of extra shopping home, and that can actually be you know quite disastrous. And and, and we did have stories about packing and repacking things at the airport. Um, Any experience with that, Barbara? I did have experience with that through when I was I told have I was. You have two. That's not you, fun. It's not, but you were clever because you, you piled the clothes on. I was so hot and bothered I couldn't pile any more clothes on anyway. Yes. But, uh, and had children to pile clothes oh on my too goodness. as well. Oh, that was handy. Yes. And their pockets <laughs> as well. So that was helpful. Yes. So th- these are things that you uh, you have to be careful about and because it, it can be – it can put quite a dent in the travel budget if you're, if you're, if you're charged with excess baggage and, as I say, never mind the emotional baggage, but uh, <laughs> that's a that's I think story. wheels are great now. Like yes. I have got a backpack and I've travelled with a backpack. I've actually – found a one that um, takes seven kilos wow. only and it, and it packs quite a lot and I'm a big fan of the packing cells and also oh, yes. the actual weighing device for yes. the backpack as well and that re- is a good idea. repacking and packing your hand luggage and repacking that. Yes, um, little scales. I love or doing that and we, yeah. we tend to travel very lightly and try not to do check-in luggage but I have to say more and more to save the shoulders and the back, the wheels other way to go they and are. the more you can squash into wheels and a, and a hand luggage version um the better of course exactly yeah and of course that that horrible idea about um and we have heard horror stories about people losing their luggage and being without their clothes for for days and weeks at a time and whatever else but so yeah if you can possibly manage to if you're going to be not away for too long a time um yeah you can um just just take all the stuff on on the cabin on the cabin with you um which is yeah, which is very helpful um but for the rest of us i must admit i did take clothes away with me Nicole that I didn't wear and I thought why are you fool why did you take this yes, uh, yes. there's usually a couple of pieces that I'll go what went along for the trip yes, and what, yes. what can I learn from that next time exactly and often for me it, it might be just little tops that I thought oh that's light I'll just pop that in there but I never needed it yes yeah, yeah. and depending on, of course what time of year you're travelling it's much more complicated if you're travelling between seasons and you've got to be away for a while it is if you've got to pack lightly and pack heavily depending on what you're doing um, yeah so there's all that to consider and don't forget um, I mean I must where I where we were, uh, a laundry was uh, really not much in evidence, and uh, where we were staying, I was doing a lot of hand washing of the smalls, and uh, in the uh, very the, important to yes, do, yes, exactly, and so all those sort of things, and, and so you take stuff that it's going to it's going to preferably wash and wear uh, reasonably well, and then and, and drip dry or whatever else, and trying to take things that are going to be a, a major drama in terms of cleaning, um, and of course, well, if you're staying in, in luxury accommodation, they might provide a laundry service with. Of course, that's an extra cost too. It is an extra cost. I'm finding that um, getting a little bit of um, laundry soap um, I've taken with me, more the powdered version. Oh, yes. And um, also the um, little stretchy, twisted um, clothesline that you can hang up, I found to be particularly helpful. That's a good idea. Um, And, yes, finding the the warm spot or the vent or, (laughs) you know, wherever that might be that you can do some of those um, smalls, very, very, very helpful. So um, just, you know, avoid some of those additional purchases and um, makes your clothes go a little bit further as well, doesn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. And yeah, then, um, good tips. And also just 
yeah, just um, just reminding yourself, you know, I, I know we, we like to buy gifts too for people while we're away as well, so they, they can also bump up the uh, the luggage. But yeah, just just try and think carefully too about, you know, that, well, no, is this really necessary? Will they really like it? You know, do I really want it? Can I really afford it? Is that, it light? Uh, will it go in my hand exactly, luggage? Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, will absolutely. it break on the way home? I mean, all these things you just got to yeah, just be, just be careful. And big um, purchases you can usually bulk up and. Send home, but um, yes, it can be an expensive exercise as well. That's but um, you know, if if you need to, sending it home is easier than sometimes paying the the cost of yeah, the extra or dragging luggage. around and worrying about losing it or having it broken or stolen. Yes, or any any of the above. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember having a beer stein. A, oh. a porcelain, oh, really? actually ceramic beer oh, stein, yes, um, <laughs> with a uh, kind of a platinum lid on oh, it. Oh gosh! And also a porcelain Rhine Riesling from the Rhine mm. in our backpacks right throughout our trip. And in they Europe. survived. Um, yes, thank wow. you to, to Daniel and wrapping in lots of clothing and polar fleeces. But um, oh, well done. Not recommended for the weight of the, say, weight heavy. Of the, the backpack. <laughs> Uh, we would probably retrospectively not do that again. Um, but, yes, we have those those things still with us too, yeah, I mean, to we, appreciate. I mean, yeah, and we do like to have that, of course, bring back the little souvenirs. But, and we hope we bring that little souvenirs uh, such as nice little bugs of one sort or another. And apparently bed bugs are on the rise in Paris know, and France. I'm looking at that. that. And that's awful. It's disturbing, yes. And so Very we're obviously awful. in that part of the world this time. But it can take the, it can take the edge off the holiday. Obviously, that, that kind of problem. I've had people yeah. putting their... Um, Sleeping bags, there's an inner sheet that you can buy for a sleeping bag. Oh, yes. putting it on the outer oh, of right. the sleeping bag oh. to protect the sleeping bag so the sleeping bag doesn't get bugs if you're in That's a hostel. Um, so just one of those other little tips as mm. well and finding things that – in different herbs and sprays that could um, yes. keep them away. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I sort of – makes me squirm when I yeah, think about no, bed bugs. Not, not, not represent the downside of, of travel too. Yes. Um, but uh, also what we did too um, – just before you go into your little segment, um, is uh, if you are—I mean, I—I th- I was overly optimistic. I thought that like, well, I could possibly see a lot more of England than I than I actually managed to. But it's a question of either you you see things in a blur, or perhaps you don't see as many things, but you see things in a bit more intensity. And that's what we ended up doing when we went to the Cotswolds. We based ourselves in Cheltenham, and we went out to Tewkesbury and um, Burton on the Water and these beautiful Cotswold vis- oh, uh, villages. Gorgeous. Yes, um, and that was I a nice way to there. do it. Yes. Um, yeah, but I'm thinking next time, if there is a next time, um, I would, because I'd like to explore more of the north of England, um, I would come in higher up rather than basing myself in London. I would rather come in higher, maybe t- up towards Edinburgh or somewhere up, up further north um, of, uh, of the UK, and then when perhaps work my way down to go to the lakes district and all those sort of things yes because, um yeah because yeah, you can be overly optimistic um, about about your time and energy levels too sometimes exactly yes. i do like the basing yourself somewhere and doing the surrounds i think that's a nice thing to do and it's less stressful in a lot of ways you're not dragging your bags around date after day and then sort of knocking yourself out exactly i think when i did the uk i was in a car and so that was easier that, that's great if you can hire a car yeah too. we yes. hired a car um shared the cost and went and just did the circuit basically that's down nice south across it. and then up and back down. Yeah. So that's a great way to do it if you can if you can do that. Also remembering that you, we are driving on the same side of the road over there. Very much easier. Yes. But in still part, very busy. Yes, but in other parts of the world, I must admit, I wouldn't trust myself to drive on the other side of the road. I would always be nervous that in an emergency, I'd revert to old habits yes. and I'd be on the wrong side of the yes. road. Ha- yes, has, has been done in the US before. Mm. Uh, yes, very very briefly you do it and then you don't do it again. Oh, okay. like um, yes. A little bit like that. Yes, oh, that's wonderful. Good little tips there. 
for travelling. So um, it's about 10 minutes to 6 o'clock now. I thought um, I've got a couple of little things that I wanted to share with you. One was um, a bit of a nutrition tip and uh, this one was quite topical for me because I see so many of my clients not getting their fibre intake, their daily fibre intake. Now for women it's around 25 to 28 grams a day. For men it's around 30 grams a day Mm -hmm. Uh, and not many people think um, and know what fiber is when I ask them they tend to think that it's a cereal um, or a grain which it can be mm-hmm. but it's often our fruit and vegetables yes. so when we think about fiber we're thinking about um, this nutrient that is needed by our body for healthy digestion and it's digested by the bacteria in our gut to produce substances that keep you healthy so it produces these short chain fatty acids um, so eating a diet high in fiber and whole grains is linked to a lowered uh, risk of obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, etc., cholesterol, cancer, diverticular disease, constipation, hemorrhoids, etc. So all of the, you know, cancer, bowel cancer is quite high in Australia. Mm. Um, so it is important to make sure that we have a lot of fibre in our diet. Now, fibre... Um, of course, you need adequate water to make sure that the fibre does the work it needs to do. Otherwise, it can lead to constipation yes. and things like that. Um, but we have different types of fibre. We have soluble, insoluble and resistant starch. And they all have different health benefits. Mm-hmm. So the soluble fibre is one that dissolves in water. So it's found in lots of foods like oats. So oats soak up lots of water. They become soft. That's a very good fibre. Mm-hmm. Um We have legumes, um, fruits and veggies, um, nuts and seeds, bread, cereals and pastas. Um, And foods high in this type of fibre can help you feel full, um, reduce constipation, speeding up the transit time of the food through the body. Um, Then you've got the soluble fibre and... um, Sorry, some of the soluble fibres can reduce the amounts of cholesterol as well. Uh Um, And some of those are the oats, barley and psyllium, which are particularly important um, for cholesterol management and high blood sugar as well. Uh, And then the flip side of that is the insoluble fibre. So this is the one that doesn't dissolve in water. And it's usually found in um, high fibre whole grain breads and cereals, in the skin of fruits and veggies, and some nuts and seeds as well. And this um, insoluble fibre absorbs water. It helps soften the content of your bowel and um, can improve the consistency of a bowel motion to present constipation and straining, etc., And then there's this resistant starch. So people might talk about things like, you know, the slightly undercooked pasta, um, an underripe banana, um, potato in a potato salad, just slightly undercooked. Mm -hmm. You get that resistant starch. Um, And these are, you know, less processed um, and the less cooked you get more of that resistant starch. And this can ferment producing substances that help with the lining of your bowel health as well. So Mm -hmm. we need to have a combination of all three. And as I said, 25 grams for women, 30 for men. Most Australians don't eat enough. So to try and get enough every day, the Cancer Council of Australia recommends you should eat obviously a variety of whole grains and wholemeal foods, at least two serves of fruit a day, five serves of veggies, including legumes known as, as pulses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we're thinking about um, kids as well. Um, kids aged 2 to 18 should have four to seven serves of whole grains a day. 
um, pregnancy eight to nine serves, oh, and adults yeah. nineteen to fifty should have six serves. And um, above that, we're sort of looking at around three to four for women over 51 and 4.5 to six for men um, over 51. So um, this, what this can look like on a plate is often um, one slice of whole grain bread, um, uh, half a cu- cup of cooked brown rice, pasta or noodles or even porridge, uh, two thirds of a cup of whole grain breakfast cereal, and a quarter of a cup of untoasted muesli. So usually a combination of the nutrients provides all of the different fibre requirements. Um, Whole grains often the best. Now, um, you know, sometimes for some people they'll say, oh, too much fibre makes me bloated, gives me gas. Um, And um, whilst it can do that if you're initially increasing your fibre content as the bacteria produce um, a gas as a byproduct, generally that settles down and making sure that you have enough water. Now we need about 2.2 litres of water a day. Um, and if we're having more fibre, we need to increase that as well. So just making sure that you're getting your high fibre foods in your diet. Um, check out um, a little bit of information on Health Direct. If you Google fibre, you can get lots of good information and some of the recommended dietary intakes for your body to be at its best and digest. Right. Thank you, Nicole, for that. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting one there as well. well while we're on the subject of food, can I tell you some Ooh, food jokes? Oh, let's do our jokes. Yes. Before we wind up. Yes. Um, okay. Why don't eggs tell jokes? I don't know. They'd crack each other up. Oh. What did the banana sit in the... I thought it was a, something about the yolk. I was, gonna, <laughs> oh, I was trying to get... Yeah, yeah. What did the banana sitting in the sun say to the other banana sitting in the sun? Uh, you're, I don't know. I don't know, but you know, I'm starting to peel. I'm starting to peel. <laughs> Where did this fly in my soup? Don't worry, so the spider in your salad will get it. And what is a cannibal's favourite soup? One with a lot of body. And waiter, what's this fly doing in my soup? Freestyle, I believe. Ha, ha. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have one for you, um, which I've been storing up oh, yes. for the day. I haven't really – well, I had a couple given to me throughout the week, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm missing this one. But this one was called, How Many Narcissists Does It Take to Change a Light Bulb? Oh, tell me. None. They use gaslighting. <laughs> That's good. Boom, boom. So that was my one for today. Like what that. about what gets up your nose? Well, we were speaking off air, Nicole, um, about – Unfortunately, coming out of the front door today to find that somebody's dog, cat or whatever pet had left a nice little deposit in the front garden. Oh, oh dear. So that gets up my nose. Um, people who don't control their pets, people who don't clean up after their pets. What makes my day? People who do the opposite, who are very considerate um, of the neighbourhood and uh, of their neighbours and who don't let their pets run a or if their pets do um, happen to uh, leave a little calling card, they remove it and you're not, you don't have to remove it. So, yes, yeah, so what about yeah, you? Yeah, I've got a what gets up my nose. We've got lots of building going on in our street at the moment. Oh, yes. So there's a lot of mess on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I've had flat tyres. Oh, no, um, this so time they just sort of parked across my driveway. Just oh, thought that kidding? that was fun to do. So I oh, couldn't actually get out when I needed to. So oh, that is not nice. So being considerate where you park makes my day. Yes, indeed. So exactly. I'm hoping that that will be resolved when I go home this evening. Good so that, <laughs> that is, yes. And you've, have you got a few little tidbits before we head to the news? just want to say to people that um, if you're an Elvis fan, you will enjoy Elvis, A Musical Revolution, which is currently on at the Athenaeum Theatre. It's Ooh. running up until uh, about the 17th of December. 
Um, and, uh, of course, a lot of people were excited about the movie last year, the Baz Luhrmann movie, and some people might be Elvis out. But for those of you who are not, this is a really good production, very high energy and um, some great performances and fantastic costumes and music. And I stand corrected because I didn't know that Elvis actually did write some songs. I thought he never did, but apparently oh, he did. Love Me Tender was one of them. Aww. So I stand corrected and apologies. Um, at, uh, anyway, but this, this is a musical which you could probably – Take a bigger stage, a bigger theatre, quite frankly. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, the you Elvis band is there. Yeah, it, it was good fun. I mean, did I'm people a, dress up? Uh, some people did. Ah. Um, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a massive Elvis fan. I do like some of his stuff. I do think that you know Elvis was. Um, Anyway, I think Elvis, in many ways, the story of Elvis is a cautionary tale, a bit like the story of Marilyn Monroe. But uh, anyway, it's um, it's it, look, it's highly entertaining, and uh, you might come away with, uh, as I say, perhaps different um, interpretations of the role that Colonel Parker played in his life. Is a bit different from the way he was presented in the film by Tom Hanks. But yes. Anyway, but lots of great toe tapping tunes, and uh, yes, a high energy and a very talented cast. So. What do you give it out of five? I would give it about a seven out of ten. Actually. Oh, seven out of ten. Mm, there you yeah, go. That's a good one to get along to. So check out the Athenaeum Theatre for that. Fantastic. Well, thank you for listening in today. A great show. We've got Your Planet Needs You coming up just after the news, which we're about to listen to shortly. Have a great week, everyone. We'll have some mystery guests next week, and hopefully the trio will be back. Um, thanks for joining us. Goodbye for now. Ciao. Cheerio. Thanks for listening.